Here is the latest Higher Summits forecast brought to you by our friends at the Mount Washington Observatory. Weather above treeline in the White Mountains is often wildly different than at our trailheads. Before you hike, check the Higher Summits forecast at mountwashington.org. Weather observers working at the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory write this elevation-based forecast every morning and afternoon. Search and rescue teams, avalanche experts, and backcountry guides all rely on the Higher Summits forecast to anticipate weather conditions above treeline. You should too. Go to mountwashington.org or text forecast to 603-356-2137. All right, so uh, let's get into the forecast. So Friday, in the clear under cloudy skies trending towards in and out of the clouds. High in the upper 30s, winds blowing northwest, shifting southwest at 35 to 50 miles per hour, decreasing to 20 to 35 miles per hour. Wind chill 20 to 30 above, so getting a little balmy up there. Uh, Friday night, trending into the clouds with a chance of rain showers, lows in the lower 40s, winds southwest shift south at 20 to 35 miles an hour with gusts up to 60 miles an hour. So it's going to get a little intense up there Friday night. And Saturday, in the clouds with rain showers. High upper 30s, wind south at 20 to 35 miles an hour with gusts up to 55 miles an hour with a wind chill of 20 to 30 above. And um, looking back at the uh, discussion, a few things to note cold front will traverse the U.S. and create a band of thunderstorms and unsettled weather, allowing for the development of an area of low pressure over western Pennsylvania by Saturday. This will allow for increasingly gusty conditions, as well as continued summit fog and rain throughout the day. As temperatures rebound into the weekend, mountain snowpack will continue to melt. Meltwater, in addition to forecasted rain, could allow streams to swell with flooding on trails and swift currents in ravines and gullies. So be careful out there, people. Live 
here stomp and I am all kinds of messed up right now. <laughs> I still can't get used to this uh, this angle of you. I'm out of my element. Like a, you're on like a futon couch or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's nice. It's nice. Yeah, you actually look like you're in the hospital or something. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll sit up for a little <laughs> while. Yeah, for you. So. Hey, it's all good. Well, if it's bothering you, it's, I'll, uh, I'll fix it. I got to hold my microphone too the whole time. Oh man, that's classic. It's old school. Old school. Old school. I feel like um, Bob Barker on The Price is Right. <laughs> right. right. So, oh right. boy. Episode, what is this, 102 right now? Yeah. Excellent. So I'm live from Vero Beach, Florida. So why don't we do the show intro? We'll do it first here. So uh, live from Papa's Closet in Vero Beach, Florida, welcome to episode 102 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week, in an attempt to attract a younger demographic, we interviewed a friend of the show named Caroline, who happens to also be my daughter. Talked to her about uh, her recent time living in Hawaii. She'll break down some of the hiking activities that she enjoyed during her eight-week stay in Honolulu and talk about some of her activities visiting the other islands of Hawaii. She'll also break down some of her memories of early hiking in New Hampshire, and she may even reveal some details about like what, what it was like being raised by a maniac like me. Uh, in addition to Caroline, we have a couple of short history segments. We've got crowds on Tuckerman Ravine. We've got recent hike talks or discussion. We've got pop culture talk. Uh, we've, I've got a theory about all of us living in an AI simulation, and then we'll also cover recent search and rescue news. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started Excellent. with 102. Yeah, 102. We're moving right along here. So, so Stomp, mm-hmm. I was trying to, I was like, well, let's see if there's a connection between Vero Beach, Florida and New Hampshire that I can throw on the show. So I went to yeah. uh, the internet, I Googled around a little bit, then I went to ChatGPT and ChatGPT came through for me. Uh, so I found out that Robert Frost, who's a famous poet, you know, you know him? Oh, sure. What is he? He does that poet like nothing gold can stay. And there's a couple of other poems that he's famous for, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't he have a house somewhere around here? He did. So he was a famous yeah. poet. Um, he started out, he was born in San Francisco, but he had an uncle that purchased a large farm in Derry, New Hampshire. So he worked the farm for a number of years. <clears throat> Wasn't super successful. So he ended up, um, I believe... He became a teacher at Pinkerton Academy and then a professor at Plymouth State. And then he also did summer teaching at Middlebury College in Vermont. He later uh, purchased a farm in Franconia Stomp. So I think that's how you That's know. what, yeah, it's called the Frost Place. Correct. It's right in Franconia. Correct, yeah. So he's got a pretty cool. deep history in New Hampshire. But he actually spent his winters in the 1930s and the 1940s in Vero Beach. I think his wife... I don't know if it was medical or she just wanted to get out of the the weather or something like that, but he spent a lot of time down in Florida. Um, he was a frequent visitor to Key West, and I think they had a home in Miami as well, but for a number of years, he spent time in Vero Beach. He's trying to find out whether or not Vero Beach had anything like historical with Robert Frost, but they don't, so I may have mm. to uh, write a letter to the library here in Vero Beach and tell them to start digging some stuff up because that's a pretty cool yeah. connection, but that's the only one I could find, Tom. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. I remember going to that homestead in Franconia, actually. It's really neat. I highly recommend it for anybody that's interested in his history and just his his life in that uh, that area. 
Yeah, yeah, a lot of history in New Hampshire. Um, and I think later on this week, we're going up to St. Augustine's, which is known as the um, first settlement in Florida. And I think they have a they have what they claim to be the oldest wooden schoolhouse in the United States, which I found shocking that they make that claim because there has to be like older schoolhouses in New England. In New England, but I don't know, maybe right. they all burned down. I mean, I got that that's that schoolhouse in Storyland's huh. got to be a hundred years old. <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So I don't know what the deal is there, but I'll do some research. But it's good times. <laughs> it's funny. How's the weather up there or down there? It is uh, pretty sunny. It's been a little cloudy. There was a rocket launch this morning that we missed. Couldn't really see it that well. Usually you can see mm-hmm. them, but. Um, yesterday was a beach day. Today was a pool day. And, you know, I've got the Florida sunburn where I've like got sunblock on everything, but you know how you miss like parts? Sure. Like I miss, I miss like the top of my hands are sunburned. Uh huh. And then like that part above the knee where when you're putting on the sunblock, when you get to the beach and your shorts cover up to your, like a certain part, and then you spray your knees and your legs <laughs> But then when you're sitting down, like your shorts ride up and like that little patch of leg gets absolutely fried. So I'm dealing with patches of bird skin. That's hilarious, dude. It's like 40 degrees here and it was snowing all day in Littleton and Lincoln. No way. Um, Yeah. This afternoon, uh, Lafayette was covered in white snow again. I couldn't believe it. Very strange coming off of the 80s last weekend. Wow. So, And I, I... I thought I saw like there's got to be snow bridges letting loose. There's got to be water running hot. Like mm-hmm. I know that, that we got some search and rescues that happen on Chikora, but like I would think like like the Hancock's got to be ugly right now. And I would think that like oh yeah some of those like um, like Liberty yeah getting up to Liberty yeah, Flume th- those got to be ugly at this point. Yeah, yeah, we were convinced that there was going to be a rescue or two last weekend, but nothing came through. Yeah. Thank God. Fishing Jimmy would have been a- like the the Kinsmans that area too. Excuse me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, knock on wood. Nice and keyword. Yep. Very quiet. Very quiet. So what else we got here to open the show up, Stomp? Well, this is sort of an action alert. I got a direct message from a listener who I'll just leave unnamed for now, but um, her her best friend's family member um, is lost. Uh, she was in Japan and she was hiking and she's just MIA. It's been about four or five days now. And um, we will provide the GoFundMe page for this woman. Her name is Patricia Wu Murad. And uh, the search continues. And um, the the donations on this page are just blowing through the roof, which is absolutely phenomenal because this family has to go over there. Apparently the search and rescue efforts sort of came to a stall. So they're doing everything on their own. And that of course costs a lot of money. So just a, just a little way we can help out here if anybody's interested in donating. But uh, as of today, no new updates, just a few little uh, points about what she was wearing, like her backpack and clothing and things like that. So uh, we'll keep you posted if we hear anything. Wow, that is scary. yeah, yeah. It's a shame. So it's it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's been a little little too long for my comfort, but hopefully a miracle will be be in the cards. Yes, absolutely. All right, we'll include that in the show notes, and I think you've already put that on the Instagram, right? I did. I did once. I'll probably repost it again in a day or two. Um, but again, yeah, definitely hit the show notes this weekend when you uh, 
when you get the show. Very good. All right. So next up, Stomp, you've got some mud season um, tips mm. here around uh, Vermont. It's a funny story. It's it's out of the Burlington Free Press. Came out on the 13th. And as we know, it's mud season everywhere right now. It's sort of a mess. Uh, but in the Green Mountains, there's some concern about the erosion on the trails. And just to save you the uh, the effort, it, there, there are basically two things they recommend. If it's muddy, um, find a different trail. And, and if there's a, a muddy section, if you don't decide to bail, then walk through the mud and don't walk off to the sides uh, to widen out the trail. I think their biggest, biggest concern, especially above treeline, is that um, the widening is destroying some of the uh, subalpine and alpine uh, vegetation. Yeah. Just some basic pointers here. I, it's, it's sort of funny. It's like some places actually ban hiking. I know the squams like we had talked about. And what I do not read in here is that there is no prohibition. They just basically tell you to walk through the mud and don't widen the trails and pick another trail if you can. Yeah. I'm sure some listeners will chime in after hearing this, but I'm pretty sure that there's sections of Vermont that also shut down. Uh, But maybe I'm getting that confused with the Adirondacks, but I agree with them about just like socking it up. Like I feel like when it's Mm. wet, when the, if it's, if it's not super cold and dangerous, like when it gets wet like this, I think this the earlier you just sort of embrace the fact that your feet are going to get soaking wet, like just deal with it, walk through the mud. It gets kind of fun after a while. But the thing you also want to remember is just make sure, like I tend to be one of those people that just like slips on my sneakers and like I, I, I tie them once and then I slip them on for the next three months. Um, you just make sure that you tie them on a little bit tighter so that, you know, if you are going to go through mud, like you don't inadvertently lose your your sneaker in the mud because it's actually happened to me before. Especially, I remember when me and my friend Tom were hiking Grafton Notch, like I went in up to my hip and if I, if I was going, if I was pulling my leg up and I lost my shoe doing that, like I would have been screwed. Like I'd be four miles in either direction with no shoe and I'd have to dig in that mud. So just make sure that in this season in particular, if you're switching over to trail runners, make sure that you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're tight because you don't want those things slipping off in the mud and you losing them. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And speaking of mud season and spring in general, the, the next story here is coming out of Quandary Peak and Apparently, it's one of Colorado's most popular 4,000 footers, and they have some- 14,000 uh, footers. Yes. That's what I said, right? 14, you, 14, I thought you said 4,000. I don't Oh, well. Oh, I don't know about that. I'll have to check the end. I won't trust you. You're, you're going to slip in 14,000, <laughs> even though you said 4,000, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so, apparently, there's a hell of a lot of rescues going on here, and uh, a lot of people post-holing, getting off trail, ending up waist high, you know, shoulder high into the snow, and what they're telling people, um, basically, the, the search and rescue team here is Summit County Rescue Group, uh, and they're all volunteer. They're telling people that in the mornings, it can be bulletproof, but in the afternoons, you need those snowshoes because you're going to be sinking in this soft snow, especially if you go off trail. So a couple pointers there from uh, Colorado. And uh, I think we're seeing the same thing here, uh, more or less with these rotten trails and a lot of post holing going on. So it's not time to put away those snowshoes yet, people. Yeah. Yeah. It's so tempting to say like, oh, I'm going to roll the dice and I'll save myself a little bit of weight, but if you're going to go mm. where snow is, you're better off just bringing them. Oh, absolutely. For sure. So Excellent. I prefer to just stay low and avoid 
the crazy stuff for a while. Um, although based on what you're telling me, Stomp, there may still be snow when I get back up there. Um, yeah, could be, could be trace, but there's something up there now as of today. Right. I was shocked. Like, oh my God, it's snowing again. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I read pretty much like from what I could tell, I, I go on the New England Trail reports and it seems like about 2,500 feet below is pretty dry right now. Although there's always going to be like those areas that don't get hit with the sun that may stick around a little, little more. But I think mm-hmm. for the most part, it sounds like things are above 2,500 feet at this point. Yeah, I would think so. More or less. Yeah. yeah that, that's a safe bet. All right. And then next up stop, we've got the Mount Washington Auto Road has put out their, uh, their schedule for the year. Yeah. Talking about fun things to do. Occasionally we do these fun things to do in New Hampshire and uh, there are several upcoming events. We have the uh, Alton Weagle Day, which I believe you're doing, which is on May 27th. You want to talk about that for a sec? Yeah. Yeah. So Alton Weagle is a day that honors. uh, So this guy, Alton Weagle, I guess he was a character. Um, I don't really know the whole background. I think we've done segments on him before. I came to know about this because when I go for the, when I train for the Mount Washington road race Memorial day weekend, I will typically run the auto road early in the morning. And the first time that I discovered Alton Weagle day, I ran from Pinkham notch. I went, I went over to old Jackson and then hit the auto road at mile two and then started my making my way up, made it to the summit, started coming back down the road. And all of a sudden I bump into a guy that was jumping ropes in like, um, what is that? Lederhosen? Lederhosen? Yes. Yeah. The other uh, German outfit. Yeah. He was, he was jump roping up the, he was skipping rope up the road. And then I was like, that's kind of weird. <laughs> then I saw a star trooper and I was asking them like, what is going on? And I saw a bunch of different people dressed up in different outfits. Alton Weagle mm-hmm. Day is basically a day that honors like his crazy spirit about unique ascents of the auto road. So they've had camels go up. They've had people go up in segways. They've had people go up in pogo sticks. A lot of people will go, like people go up in those dinosaur outfits and things like that. So it's a real fun day. Matter of fact, mm-hmm. I'm going to see if me and you can actually run the auto road the same day and maybe we'll catch them and get some pictures. Sounds great. Yeah. I'd be up for that. Yeah. Yeah. So they leave at like six in the morning. So they get up, they try to get up and down mostly before the, the, the auto road opens up to cars. Okay. Sounds good. I mean, beyond that, they have, uh, Bicknell's thrush tours, which are uh, an extremely rare species of bird. So those tours are happening through May and June. Uh, of course, there's the Mount Washington Road Race, uh, which we're both running in on the 17th. And actually, on the 17th as well, minis on top. Can you imagine this one? 200 plus mini coopers gather annually to make their way to the summit. (laughs) I've never heard of that. Oh, I've seen them. I I haven't seen them on Mount Washington, but I've seen the mini Cooper rallies going around on New Hampshire. You know, I've seen them coming up Route 16. I've seen them on 302 before. So Mm -hmm. definitely it's a car culture thing. Oh, that's crazy. Well, speaking of cars, uh, we had a message from one of the listeners, uh, Coffee and Vinyl, who messages us here and there, told us that the Rally Car Hill Climb um, is once every four years. So I've been waiting for that date to come out, but apparently it's next year. So that is not this year, unfortunately. Is that the guy that does like the Subaru and he goes up in like nine minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five minutes plus, but uh, that's next year. Uh, New for 2023, Sunset Drive and Guided Tours. So that goes all the way from uh, July 8th at 7 p.m. and 
I guess another one on August 12th, I guess two of them. Seek the Peak, that's a fundraiser for the Mount Washington Observatory on the 15th. Summit Salute, I mean, there's just a whole list of things. Uh, We'll finish up here with this one. Sunrise Ascent on Mount Washington, an empowering fundraising event to benefit adaptive sports partners of North Conway. So it's, uh, they're a nonprofit dedicated to providing year-round sports, recreation, and wellness for uh, those with disabilities. So take a look at the site. We'll give the link, and there's just a whole bunch of stuff for folks to do. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on there. And it's and mm. I know it's popular to say like, oh, I hate how there's like so much development on Mount Washington. And, you know, if I could get rid of the auto road and the cog, you know, people said they would love to do that. But just remember that these organizations do give a lot back. And there's a lot that goes on that gives them outreach to the community. They give the ability for people that wouldn't otherwise be able to access these high summits, the ability to get up there and experience what we all experience um, when we go hiking. So there's good and there's bad when it comes to the this stuff and also the auto road people just like the cog people in the amc uh they all step up when there's when there's issues and people need help for rescues they're always rolling up their sleeves and helping out whenever they can Mm -hmm. no doubt about it yep pros and cons there but uh but good stuff right how about this next one, Mike? Uh, yeah, so next up, I, I pulled... Somebody sent this to me, I think. Um, I forget who, but I appreciate it. Uh, mining permit filed in northern Maine near Katahdin. So this is not in Katahdin, but I think this is like maybe northwest of Katahdin. There is a uh, Canadian mining company that is filing some permits to, um, I guess, mine for copper, lead, zinc, silver, and gold. So this is called the Pickett Mountain Deposit, and it's east of Baxter, Baxter State. Park in Katahdin Woods in Waters National Monument. So I want to mm-hmm. say this is in the area where they were they were talking about maybe um, proposing a national park there. But um, regardless, it looks like this company is pretty serious about this. Environmental groups and some of the native tribes have spoken out against the proposal. Um, mm-hmm. There's a petition ongoing right now that says that there's little doubt that the mine at Pickett Mountain would forever damage the clean water and natural um, resources that support the region's vibrant outdoor recreation economy. So haven't really looked into this too much. I'll share the petition in the article in the show notes. And if people want to sign that petition to say no mining near near Katahdin, then go for it. Mm. Excellent. Very good. Um, and then next here, Snop, we have a little Boston Marathon news. So uh, there was mm. a granite stater, Ben True, placed well in the Boston Marathon. What what was his time? The time was two hours, 16 minutes, and six seconds. Wow. His personal best is 212 uh, from the New York City Marathon. But uh, yeah, he's from West Lebanon. So he came in 23rd. Yeah, that's legit. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. We have some others. Uh, Samuel Fazioli of Derry finished 48th, uh, 223. And uh, a few others here, like um, Jennifer Mortimer of Bedford, finished in 304. So, yeah, a lot of uh, New Hampshire folks placing. And uh, I've never done it. You, you've raced it, haven't you? I did, yeah. I did the 2013 marathon, which was quite an event. So that was the year that the, uh, the marathon bombs went off. So that was quite a memory for me. I know um, 
that the um, the day was like my, my kids and my wife were supposed to actually meet me at the finish line and we were going to hang out. Thank God they didn't. Like I think my mother-in-law had uh, some connection to Wellesley. So they met me in Wellesley Center and we took a couple of quick pictures and then I went on my way. But I finished luckily before the bombs went off. But my brother had met me at the finish line and our original plan was we were going to walk back down to the proximity of where those bombs went off and hang out with some of his other friends because there was some other people running. I was pretty much tired at that point. So I told him, I said, Joe, let's just, let's just get out of here. You know, we, we took some pictures and hung out right at, right past the finish line. I got all my stuff and I was like, let's just get out of here. We'll hit the T and then, mm-hmm. um, and go home. And thank God we did do that. I mean, who knows what would have happened, but um, we just were on the red line when the bombs went off. And I remember getting off the red line oh, in boy. Kendall because my car was parked there at my at my work and I got in my car and my phone just blew up like the security team of my company called to check on me uh you know Kristen was checking on me at the time it was like I was listening to the radio I think it was like Howie Carr was like they think that there was a gas leak so mm-hmm. it was a pretty crazy day good old Howie yep good old <laughs> Howie but uh, I did pretty I ran pretty well I think I did like a 335 mm-hmm. which wasn't bad that's not too shabby yeah Oh, did you hear about this cheater, by the by the way? Another cheater. This time it's an ultra marathoner. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to our friend John, who um, who sent this to us. And yes, Mr. Huck. Yes, Mr. Huck. So thank you. Uh, I didn't I didn't actually hear about this until he sent it over. But uh, there was mm-hmm. a gentleman by the name of I forget his name, Derek something. But he had this website called Marathon Investigates. I think he got sick of it because he was just mm-hmm. exposing so many people cheating. But there's a runner named Josiah um, Zakruski who flew from Australia to the UK to compete in an ultra marathon. And then I guess she used a car to finish the race. And she she accepted a third place prize. Um, and then eventually, I guess it was exposed that um, she had- Well, she revealed she it. Yeah. Oh, she revealed yeah, the it, yeah. First- the first five paragraphs are insane. I think we have like three or four stories today yeah. that could be shame or no shame, but you have to read the f- the first few paragraphs. It's crazy. So it's like, it's a 50 mile race, but for 2.5 miles of it, she was in a car and uh, she's a doctor and she had an explanation why she got in the car. Around 25 miles, she started having sore legs, which I guess is so to be expected yeah. on a 50. Uh, so her friend gave her a lift to the next checkpoint and uh, she tried to tell, quote unquote, tried to tell officials she was quitting. Um, this is where it gets funny. When I got to the checkpoint, I told them I was pulling out and that I had been in the car and they said, you will hate yourself if you stop. So she continued on in the race, but said it was in a quote, non-competitive way. <laughs> and she was sure not to overtake other runners. <laughs> oh my god, it's so funny. That's that's a bit sketchy. So bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've paced friends in the past for these ultra races and it is pretty loosey-goosey like there's a lot going on. There's like the rest <laughs> tents and like you know, I think yeah. generally people are checking in, but like there's just a lot going on with these ultra races, especially oh, sure. if it's like a loop situation. And yeah, you know, I could. I guess I could see something like this. No going shame, on, but I don't. I don't think. 
I think once you take that car ride, like you don't go back out and run, like that's it. Like you, you as the athlete have to have the common sense to say like, all right, I tapped out and I'm not continuing on. Like you don't just say like, all right, I'm going to continue. Now I'm going to continue, but not pass anyone. Like, no. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's a funny story. (laughs) I immediately thought of Rosie Ruiz and the bus ride. Yep. Back in the days. Yep. Exactly. Um, all right, mm. so back to New Hampshire now, Snop. There was huge crowds at Tuckerman's Ravine, um, or is it Tuckerman Ravine? I can never remember. I think it's Tuckerman's, Tuckerman's Ravine, yeah. right? Um, yeah, um, big crowds there. I saw some pictures on Facebook about like cars parked way down the street, and somebody had sent us a an opinion piece, and it's kind of interesting. It's it's like. It's a college student who wrote this, as far as I can tell. And she, yeah, currently attends Bowdoin College in Maine. Mm-hmm. She's a local to New Hampshire. It's very jingoistic. It's very much like, you know, New sure. Hampshire is our state, and anybody that comes here should be honored. And, you know, we should put in a permit system to, to manage all these out-of-staters. You know, we don't want to have to do it, but it's for everyone's <laughs> own good. And I'm, This is the biggest load of crap I've ever read in my life, but that's just my opinion, Stomp. So my question is, do they allow parking on Route 16? Is that what you said? That cars are parked up and down the highway? I'm pretty sure that like the picture I saw was um, cars parked on 16 uh, for overflow for Pinkham Notch. Um, I'm assuming that a lot of times like you get that other overflow parking lot that's like near the Deratissima Trail. And then I think people can park... Yeah, heading, they can park on the road in that section there. There's probably no need to, you know, put in a permitting system right now because the parking lots themselves are self-limiting. But the problem is, sort of like the notch here in Franconia, it becomes a safety issue if all these cars are on the highway and people walking in. So I could see them either, one or the other, dealing with the parking on the road, which may be getting out of hand, which then in turn would limit the number of people that could go or, um, you know, doing a permitting system. One or the other would solve the problem. You can't have all those cars parked on these busy roads, you know? Yeah. And again, I don't know with 16, um, I don't know so much if this was a, the, the, the point of the article was less about the parking situation and more about, the fact that people go up there and they don't really know it's a big party and they don't really know the details about where to pick the right section of the ravine to ski. I think the, the, the writer's point was that like, I think a lot of people were on the right side of the ravine skiing when there had been like an avalanche warning Mm. Uh, put out the day before and you know she had done her homework rightly so I mean that I, I can't fault her for this piece of it she had done her homework and knew that like left gully was the recommended place to ski but like one person had gone up the right side and everybody because they didn't have any knowledge just followed that person up and they were in danger and there was a snow ranger that they asked about it and he was like yeah basically like one person goes up that side and everyone will follow because yeah. they don't know any better so there is a part of education I don't see how that permitting happen, would help that you know and there is some danger there people are gonna I don't either I mean maybe if you put a permit along with like a, a test or something yeah people are gonna ski what they want to ski it's like that's not gonna change a thing yeah yeah and I think that we have a tendency as humans to sort of see an exception to something happening and then we we apply this idea that there's a systemic problem when there's really like 
the reality is, is it's like one or two weekends out of the year where Tuckerman's Ravine gets crazy and, you know, there's no need to put in a permitting system to solve that issue, I think. Um, and in related news, some dude took a header off of, <laughs> off of Tuckerman's and went right into an actual ravine. I don't know if you saw the video or not. Yeah. I mean, call it a crevasse. I mean, at some point during the spring, the snow, it's so vertical, yeah. the snow separates away from the head wall itself because it's almost 90 degrees like straight up so it separates in the water he this guy unbelievable video he just does a, a, a head overhead and falls right into a hole and thankfully he just disappears into like um um a hole of china yeah for sure i mean it must have been fairly you know maybe 45 50 degrees for him to climb out um and survive that. But there are plenty of stories of people falling into that gully between the head wall and the, the sheet of ice uh, that's separating and just not getting out or dying. I mean, it's such a dangerous place, man. That could be a shame, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know why people like push themselves to do these crazy things. That That's like the worst spot to do something crazy like that. Unreal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I like to think I'm a pretty good skier, but I don't think I would risk playing around in that particular area where he was. Super lucky. Yeah. It's crazy video. So I'll post that on our like socials and, um, but there's also another video that, um, my, our friend Al had sent me, uh, this one's up in Canada. So this gentleman was like taking some film with a drone in Jasper national park, which is in Alberta. And his drone, I guess, fell into this like rushing water and the water was breaking through. So there was ice on either side. As far as I can tell in the video, the guy doesn't have any traction on and he's making his way on this ice shelf with like running water that Mm -hmm. is like rushing water. And the ice shelf is maybe like two feet wide and then there's a, a river and it looks like it's just connected to the side of the, the, the like, um, ravine that he's in or the, the the crevice that he's in and it probably was tilting in towards the water so he slipped and fell completely fell in the water and then he was rushing towards this ice shelf and i don't know what would have happened if he got like sucked under the ice shelf luckily he was able to sort of get himself up on the ice shelf but the water was pushing him <gasps> under it and he was luckily able to kind of crawl his way out people were filming him from above but they couldn't do anything because they were like they were above he went down into right. the like the waterfall wow. section yeah it sure is it's crazy <sighs> absolutely terrifying yeah yeah and i get it these drones are expensive mm-hmm. but like it's not worth your life yeah. yeah and he also he had his backpack on so he kept his backpack on the whole time no spikes and he gets sucked into this like rushing water where he could have got sucked under the ice yeah and the, the general rule with backpacks is to have them unclipped when you're in water situations. I've not heard too much more on that, mm-hmm. uh, that rule of thinking or that line of thinking, but it makes sense if you need to get that thing off you quick. Yeah, exactly. I've seen people like they just carry them over their mm-hmm. heads and whatnot, but I, I've, I've done water crossings that have been sketchy and usually I just sort of unclip it and I can get yeah. it out pretty quickly if I need to. Hmm. Wow. 
Uh, the other thing Al sent over, just on changing topics here, Al found a book that's called Beer Hiking in New England. So it's a book, and we'll we'll post this on the on the show notes. It's Carrie Michael Kish is the author. Beer Hiking New England, The Tastiest Way to Discover Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, nice. Connecticut, and Rhode Island. And this book is um, 50... Yeah, Carrie Kish lives in Maine as the editor of the Appalachian Mountain Club's mm-hmm. uh, Maine Mountain Guide. And, you know, for the Beer Hiking New England book, he he hiked over 300 miles and tasted more than 230 different beers. So we need to reach out to this guy, but it's basically 50 hikes that connect good trails in New England with, um, with, I guess each hike leads through a stunning scenery and features a nearby brewery or brew pub. And I, I think reckless is in there. So it's like a post hike type of book. Interesting. It's it's a it's a it's a hiking it's a trail hiking recommendation and then he wraps it up with where you can go to a brewery after you finish your <laughs> it's hike. A bad idea, I guess. So he's got like, yeah, he's got easy walks to moderate moderate rambles mm, to strenuous excellent. climbs. Definitely have him on. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, good idea. Um, all right, stop. So then, moving on to pop culture talk here. Way AI continues to move fast. Elon is creating a competitor to ChatGPT or OpenAI. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess he feels like OpenAI is biased and he wants to create the Elon yeah, Twitter version of Yeah, I think uh, he wants to call it ChatGPT, which so is pretty cool. You know, I, I, I heard a lot about this. It's like, yeah. um, apparently, I was surprised. I didn't realize that ChatGPT was closed source. And when I think when you're dealing with something as humongous as this, this concept, I think it would have to be open source for safety. Um, the way it's headed now, I mean, you could see Google and all these other companies just trying to do this for profit and just losing control of it completely. I love what Elon's saying about it. Open source for safety and just getting rid of the bias. Um, it's off to a rough start. That's all, that's all I can say about it. <laughs> it's, it seems like it's getting ahead of them. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's moving very quickly. Like there was an article today that, or the other day that I read that said that um, there was like this AI system that they put in place and somehow like it wasn't programmed to do this, but it learned a foreign language, like something in uh, some yeah. sort of a dialect in Bangladesh that it was like, the perf- I think it was on 60 Minutes or something, and the, one of the, the computer scientist guys was like, yeah, there's no clear explanation on how the system was able to learn this foreign language because it was not programmed in, and there's no right. That's what real I mean. explanation on it. But it was most definitely responding in the language, and we don't really know how, yeah, that's how it freaky. happened. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think it's been like, what, 100 days and, since this uh, was released it's moving fast. And so I, I ran a lot last week, so I did about 45 miles on, uh, 43 miles, I think. And I was like, mm. had a lot of time to think. And a good amount of that thinking was around AI. And I was like, what if, what if we're in a simulation and the AI is the way that we're going to realize that we're in a simulation? Like this is the way that we get, we de- this is the technology that we develop to reach out to the people that are yeah, running so the simulation circle. 
And then I was like, that would explain, like, because I always look about the, the Fermi paradox about, like, why are there no aliens out there uh, with all the stars out there? And I think that, like, we could be living in a simulation and that AI is going to be, like, what un- unlocks the fact that we realize we're living in a simulation mm. inside yeah, so a computer. Yeah, it's like a never-ending circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, we'll see. Hopefully, I'll be, hopefully my programming will run right before that we find that <laughs> out because it'll freak me out. Oh, crazy. Anyway, mm-hmm. enough of this nonsense, but uh, what are you watching? Anything good? Oh, uh, nothing much. We just finished the beef series. That was pretty cool. I noticed that you marked down Mandalorian. I, I do keep up with Mandalorian. I just started watching the last um, season of Secession on HBO, which has not really done it for me. I'm like, mm, a little slow. Interesting acting, but not quite doing it for me. Yeah, I got to check that out. Everyone said that like the last episode was like the greatest episode of TV of all time or something, but I don't know. I haven't watched the series, so I don't know. Maybe it's overhyped. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Don't give me any spoilers. I won't. Um, good news on HBO. Uh, they've confirmed a new series based on George R.R. R. Martin's Duncan Egg novels. So okay. uh, George R.R. R. Martin has written a series of stories about um, Duncan Egg. So Duncan Egg, so Duncan the Tall, who was the... Um, the head of the Kingsguard and Egg, who is Aegon Targaryen the Fourth. Um, this is a story about basically Aegon Targaryen as a young child. He goes off on his he goes off on his own. He's like the fourth child of the king, so he really doesn't have many prospects. So they send him off on his own. He gets to become a squire for um, D- uh, Sir Duncan, who is a hedge knight. And then um, there's a number of these like three or four different novellas that are like, you know, probably like the quarter size of a book that talk mm-hmm. about these different stories, about their different adventures and all this fun stuff. And eventually, um, you know, Aegon Targaryen ends up ascending to the crown in the future. So we haven't really seen the details about what that's like, but in the future, I expect that they will. So it could be that this series sort of ex- explores older Aegon if it goes on past like four or five seasons, but I'm pretty excited about it. Nice. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Super cool. Looking forward to Dragon. That coming out again, like in the fall or anything? Or yeah, I don't know. They're probably going to make us wait a couple of years, but we'll see. Yeah, who knows? Yep. Cool. All right. And then the last thing here, Stomp, you get Alec Baldwin is resuming filming on Rust after... Um, the wrongful death lawsuit. So interesting. I just um, saw this today. Yeah. He yeah, settled with the family. And unfortunately there's still uh, a criminal suit and amongst other things. And I just find it really tacky that this guy is going back to filming the same movie. They changed location. They're going to film somewhere else. I think it's New Mexico, but Oh man, there's something just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Doesn't it? Like, yeah, I mean, my understanding in this situation is that um, they settled a lawsuit with the with the widower of the lady who was killed. He has now become an executive producer on the the project, and I think that due to some insurance agreements with the settlement, uh, that part of that agreement actually was that they would finish the film. Uh, so I think <laughs> that the family of the victim is involved in this, and you know whether or not they endorsed it's, it or not it could just be that they're sort of everybody's kind of forced into finishing the film based on some insurance agreements that they have yep good old hollywood yeah what a mess 
But what's what's next on? (laughs) So we have our first ad of the evening, or second actually. Uh, Sweet Beginnings Daycare is a New Hampshire state licensed child care provider that offers care for children from six weeks to 12 years with flexibility in before and after school care as well. Sweet Beginnings aims to instill a love for learning by providing a safe and positive experience within a loving and warm environment. Sweet Beginnings believes this is a good foundation to teach children in order to prepare them for their future. For more info, contact Sweet Beginnings at 603-568-4530. Visit them at Sweet Beginnings Daycare on Facebook or email Shandy at shandyelliot at outlook.com. And um, we also have a second one here, CS Instant Coffee, zero waste instant coffee that comes in compostable packets. Perfect for the trail and home. Each packet makes about 20 ounces of coffee. So you can take one of them on an overnight trip and it makes two pretty good size cups of coffee. Put it in your backpack, find some hot water, and you're good to go. Learn more by going to our show notes or Google CS Instant Coffee. That's CS Instant dot coffee. And uh, apparently the stickers are still flying off the racks at Ski Fanatics and Spinners. And uh, just today, Spinners had a visit by Chris and George, who stopped by to say hi. So just a shout out to them for supporting local business and the Slasher community. And um, let's see, for donations, we have a few donations from this week. James Lindoli donated three coffees. Johnny Mack donated five. And then Britt donated five as well. Thank you guys very, very much. We super appreciate it. Excellent. Yeah, I got to load up on CS because I got some backpacking trips lined up for this summer. And then I got Yosemite in the fall. So I I need as much coffee as I can get. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So no beer, huh? Uh, oh yeah, beer talk. So this is our I traditional did, beer talk. Yeah, yeah. I I did fall off the wagon last night. I went, I went to the. We got this place called the Taco Dive in Vero. It's really good. Yeah. There's one in Fort Pierce as well. If you ever down here, the Taco Dive. Okay. Um, and I fell off the wagon. I had a Tampa Brewery IPA. So I was like, hmm. "What the hell? I'm at the Taco Dive. I'm trying to stay good with my diet, but I had a couple of." fish tacos so oh, that's fine you'll be fine yeah. how many pounds have you lost i was down 11 11 pounds total when i last weighed myself before i went to florida and then um i've tried to stay good but it's it's not easy going out to dinner every night hmm oh well it happens i've got nothing yep. tonight um but i was going to mention we are approaching two hundred thousand downloads and if anybody is interested in hanging for a few pints at Reckless sometime over the next probably three or four weeks, I would think. So maybe the 29th, 30th, 13th, whatever. If anybody's interested, shoot us some direct messages and we'll see if we can pull something together. Not a show, just just strictly hanging out and enjoying the uh, fine brews at Reckless. Yeah, let me know whatever date you pick. I'll see if I can make it. I don't yeah. know what's so much going on right now. but Sounds um, good. It's tough. My, I'm like, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to have access to a car this summer because I got my two oldest daughters coming home from school and there's five of us with three cars. So it's going to be an interesting <laughs> summer. Oh, man. Well, you've got Nobby. He'll come pick you up. Yeah, yeah I'll get Nobby to come drive me. Um, 
Very good. So any recent hike stops? So I've got nothing. I did South Mode a couple of weeks ago. And then my plan is for next weekend, I'm going to wrap up the bell maps. I think I'm going to get out and do those final, I think I got four or five final peaks. So I'm going to do a long hike in the bell maps. And then this summer, I'm going to be going back to Evans Notch a lot and hopefully trying to get some more stuff going on Grafton Notch in Maine. Mm -hmm. Nice. That sounds good. I did get out a couple times. I went out to uh, Mount Agassiz in uh, just just around Bethlehem, but before that, um, just got to mention sculptured rocks in Groton. I was I was blown away. It's right off the road there uh, in Groton, which is you know probably ten minutes from downtown Plymouth. And we had talked about it some time ago in reference to the Utah slot canyons, and they compare this to a slot canyon. And when you finally get there and look at it, holy moly! It's it's at least like eighty feet deep. Uh, probably a couple hundred feet long. It's massive and it is a slot canyon, like a legit slot canyon. The water was high when we went, so we couldn't go down and walk through it. But um, I'm assuming during the warmer, drier weather, late summer, you'd be able to walk straight up through that canyon. It's absolutely beautiful the way the rocks have been just shaped and and sculptured by the water over the the millennia. It's just really a neat place. and it's easy to get to. It's not a massive, massive hike. It's like right off the road. So that was neat. And then uh, we did Mount Agassiz too. I think we we might have talked about Agassiz in the past, but Mount Agassiz is really neat. We uh, went up Sunday morning and um, it's about 2,500 feet. It's, it's nestled in between Franconia and Bethlehem uh, on Route 142. And there's a hell of a history there. At the moment, there's this old dilapidated uh, home at the top. There used to be a fire tower up top, but there isn't anymore. Um, there's also a cell tower up there, which I think the, the owners of the property are receiving payment for. It's like weird. Like some, some of the documentation about the, the contract between the owners and the, the cell tower just laying around up there. It's such a weird place, but um, yeah, it's an amazing view. You've got a bench and you've got this overlook that looks out upon the Northern rim of the Prezi. Uh, so you've got, you know, uh, everything from Musilak, Garfield, Franconia, everything all the, all the way over to um, Mount Washington. It's just a stunning place. Um, so you haven't been there, right? No, I haven't been there. I think I did, um, we did a segment on, I think it was the Kelly Trail going up to Mount Pogus is another slot canyon mm-hmm. uh, that's in the whites. I don't, I don't think there's that many of them, but um, yeah, I, I think that that Kelly Trail section is, it's okay, but it wasn't, Yeah, it wasn't that amazing. It sounds like this one might be a little cooler. Oh yeah, it was neat. It's definitely cool. Let's dive into some White Mountains history, shall we? I did a little digging on Mount Agassiz. Um, It has a history that goes way back to the 1880s. Um, It was under the control of this fellow, Milo Corliss, who constructed the carriage road uh, to the summit and then put up an observatory too. It was formerly known as Peaked Hill, um, but it was later named Mount Agassiz in honor of Louis Agassiz, a celebrated Swiss naturalist. 
1884, the observatory was rebuilt and enlarged, and it commanded then, as today, one of the finest panoramas in the mountain, mountains. This is, a, this is a fact that I find hard to comprehend, but from the old tower, which again is not there currently, you could see 317 peaks scattered over three states and Canada. Can you imagine? That's crazy. That's, that's a huge number. Um, I'm going to have to confirm that, but that's what they're claiming here. Um, at the moment, that's not possible because you have a ton of growth of trees that pretty much obscures the north, west, and the east. So you're looking pretty much just straight south today from this point. Let's see other information here. Um, they, they had the observatory open for many years. It was paved. Um, well, let's, let's back up a little bit, actually. So it was improved. Mr. Phillips, another owner, improved the carriage road and trips were made daily to the summit on a buckboard, which apparently is a low-slung wagon seating up to six passengers and drawn by two horses. Pretty neat. First ascent by automobile was August 1910, and then the road was completed in 1929. It was often frequented by hikers as well as uh, motor vehicles. And um, they do talk about Mount Cleveland on the next section here, which is neat, because when you look out from Agassiz, you can see Cleveland. And Cleveland has an amazing view itself because it puts you a little bit closer towards the uh, northern wall of the Pemi. But um, Cleveland is neat. In 1879, there was a bridle path as well that went up Cleveland, which back then was named Round Mountain. And this peak also had an observatory on the summit, uh, but completed by Mr. Sam Varney. So in 1886, another road was made to the summit of Cleveland and a new observatory erected on the top where a magnificent view of the Gale River Valley and surrounding country was obtained. You can tell this is written way back in the day. This is from Heritage Society, so it's it sounds somewhat dated when you read it. But uh, there's quite a lot of history here. And uh, for 0.7 miles, <laughs> man, do you get a view. It's awesome. Yeah, you've always talked about this area. Like, I just have never been around. I mean, I know it's kind of right in your backyard, but mm. I just have never really been over there so i'll have to check it out at some point well it's neat because you know mount cleveland is very similar in terms of the view but there's a lot of problems when you try to park there there's ownership issues and you know if you're bushwhacking I, uh, many times i've come back down and there's been a note on my car saying hey you can't go here you know it's it's owned by us and it's private property it's not posted private but it's just not worth the effort i mean <clears throat> agassiz is a much don't better piss the, the landowners off at all yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so anybody thinking about trying to get to Cleveland by Mount Cleveland Road, it's it's not the way to do it. Uh, Reckless Steve had suggested um, a couple other routes that may be uh, good, but I honestly forget the name. I think you you can approach Cleveland by the Five Corners. There's another road, and I forget the name of it. But anyway, Agassiz is a great second. It really is. So. Interesting. So yeah. we'll check that out and uh, I'll link that history segment into the show notes for the listeners to check out as well. Absolutely. And we just have a couple of uh, notable hikes here. Vicky takes a hike, did Madison and Adams and Jefferson in the heat wave. <laughs> Megan O'Neill uh, tucks for the first time. That's very cool. 
it's always super cool when you see that for the first time. Nick hikes and plays guitar um, when hiking with uh, apparently her daughter or his daughter, Ryland, Ryland Jays. That's a beautiful name. First hike on Diamond Hill. And uh, excuse me if I got the gender wrong. Uh, Jakester was killing it this week. North Kearsage in the drizzle. And then he comes back and uh, Jake and Julie did uh, Cathedral Ledge. And then Jake came back and banged out Jackson Webster for 30 out of 48. So, and then uh, last but not least, we have Rhonda Will at 68. And uh, congrats to Rhonda for summoning Adams for her 48 and round number two. <laughs> oh my God, I can't even imagine doing two rounds of the 48. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> oh man, these people are killing it. So crushing peaks, everybody. Excellent. Uh, yeah, super cool. Um, let's see, before we get into our first segment here, we have Vaucluse gear. Uh, want more ventilation on your back when backpacking? Looking to sweat less on the trails this summer? Listen up because there is an innovative backpacking accessory that is just for you. Check out Vaucluse's backpack ventilation gear. Back sweat sucks in all types of weather and hikes. Not only is it uncomfortable, sweat is a risk factor causing your core temperature to fluctuate if it doesn't evaporate off your back. Check out Vaucluse's Ultralight Ventilation Backpack Frame, a backpack accessory that installs in your favorite pack size 18 liters to 55 liters and creates a ventilating airflow gap between you and your pack. They are releasing their Generation 2 frame right now. It weighs only 4 ounces and can handle the heaviest pack load. Whether you're in hot or cold temps, even if you have a pack with a curved frame, the Ultralight Ventilation Backpack Frame by Valkluse is a real game changer when it comes to ventilation and airflow. So visit ValkluseGear.com and order the frame today. Best of all, Valkluse is a fan and sponsor for this podcast. Use promo slowed, <laughs> use promo code slasher for a $10 discount. Whoa, that was a mouthful. A, uh, a couple updates here with these guys. We have been getting hit with little emails of people that are using the slasher code. I think we've had half a dozen or so. Mm-hmm. So that's super cool. Uh, thank you everybody for uh, purchasing the, the gear and uh, supporting the uh, the sponsors. We really appreciate it. And last but not least, I'm going to be trialing out a prototype for my ultralight for the Mount Washington. So that's super cool. Uh, they're working on ultralight f- versions for smaller packs. So I'm going to try one out and see how it works for the race coming up. Excellent. Yeah. Pretty I'm, neat. I'm curious to see... I know it's going to work well, but I'm I'm curious. Like I'm breaking out the the day hiking pack, like my um, I got the fast the ultimate direction fast pack twenty five. Yeah, I'm curious to see um, how well it fits on that thing. It's been great, but huh. I'm I'm looking forward to using it again. Yeah, I, I I do hate that sweat. It's like I've noticed it with my ultralight, just that nasty feeling. Like ugh. Yeah, you forget. Like especially like now that I'm down here in Florida, like how quickly. You know, I'm used to like working to get a sweat going, like, and I'm not used to walking around having sweat. But summer's coming, and it's going to be like that. So mm-hmm. I think get get this thing. It's it weighs nothing, and it's definitely a, a game changer. Yeah, for sure. All yeah. right, stop. So moving on to slashers topic of the week here. So I I think you and Lynn had been on me, or we had all talked about the fact that we need to attract a younger 
demographic. So the only younger demographic I know are my own kids. So Caroline <laughs> happens to be my first born daughter. So she's the oldest one. Um, and she had done an eight week trip to live and work in Hawaii through her school. So I figured like I would do a segment, you know, I, I, I guess I paid for part of this thing. So I might as well get a little bit of content out of it. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. But we always talk about Hawaii and search and rescue. So I figured it'd be interesting to talk to her a little bit about it. And mm-hmm. I think that we'll get back to the sort of um, sit in the studio guests after this week. I just wanted to get, do a couple of sort of one-on-one calls to give you a little bit of a break, but we'll get back to our old format pretty soon. Yeah, for sure. We have a quite a busy schedule coming up. Yeah. Yeah. But why don't we break and then we'll dump into my discussion with Caroline. I think it's about 40 minutes or so, and then we'll come back on the other side. It's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. Very, 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 very cool. All right, Caroline, here is your moment. Wow, finally. So exciting. So Stomp and Lynn told me that I need that we need to get the younger demographic involved in the podcast. So I'm reaching out to my network of young people. Am I the only one? Yes, pretty much. All right. Yeah. Um, so Caroline, thanks for joining us. So you're here tonight to talk about, um, a recent trip that you did to Hawaii. So you're going to break down a little bit about your, um, adventures and hiking in Hawaii and some other details about Hawaii for the audience. So I've always been curious about this. So uh, I guess just for introductions, I should probably start off by giving the audience a little bit of background on how I came to know you, how long we've known each other and sort of the background. So I feel like I've known you, how old are you right now? 20. Got it. So I've known you since you were really little and, um, you know, we've, we've gotten pretty close over the years. So I would say that, um, you know, I'm excited to have you on the show and I think that you'll do a good job here describing sort of your background in hiking from a younger person's perspective. We'll talk a little bit about New Hampshire and then we'll get into, um, Hawaii, but why don't you just sort of start by, um, introducing yourself. But before I do that, I will say to the audience, in case you didn't catch on, Caroline is my daughter. So, um, you know, I'm really proud of her and excited to have her on the show to talk for, talk for us. So talk to us for a little while here. So, so why don't you introduce yourself, Caroline, and I'll shut up. All right. Um, my name is Caroline. I am Mike's oldest daughter. I am 20 years old and I'm a junior at Worcester Polytech in Worcester, Massachusetts. And I've also known Mike since I was super young, so really excited to be here as a feature. And I've been hiking for as long as I can remember, so prepared to talk about all of that. Excellent. So can you start, just to start off with, can you give like your earliest memories of hiking when you were a little kid? Oh, geez. It has to be like the waterfalls, like Sabaday and Ripley Falls. That's definitely what kind of like hooked me into hiking. So I would say... Probably those hiking along the trails, building those little like rock herons at the, like the river. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah. So we mostly, we basically went around, um, 
all those different waterfalls when you were a kid. Uh, and I guess I, I didn't even remember this, but I was teaching you guys how to build illegal rock cairns when you were like little. So you were breaking the law of leave no trace oh, yeah. no. Like when you were very young. That was very anti-leave no trace of you. Yeah, I apologize. I apologize. So now do you have any good, any good stories that stick out to you about hiking with your sisters or me or your mom um, when you were a little kid? Anything funny, anything embarrassing? I think the most infamous one that we still talk about to this day is the time that you got us lost <laughs> off trail. What? I forget what mountain that was, but I remember being like super young. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that conversation comes up probably once a week with your mom. <laughs> so that was cave mountain. Remember cave mountain? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for the audience, just a little background, I may have covered this one before. I don't even know. I took the, my th- three girls and my wife um, to cave mountain, which is off a of Langdon trail right in Bartlett. And I think what ended up happening, my recollection of this, this is before I was into hiking. My recollection is they were doing logging operations and they had extended a logging road in between the the spur trail for Cave Mountain and the main Mount Langdon trail. So of course I had to pick a fork in the road. So I took, I took the family to the logging road and then we were then required to bushwhack across the logging road to get to the spur trail to Cave Mountain. And I'll, I'll never, I don't think I'll ever live it down. It's a little more nuanced than what we like to say when we're telling the story, but yes, yeah, no, you definitely got us lost on that one. Yeah. I apologize. Um, <laughs> so one thing that's always interesting from my perspective, Carolina, maybe you can, I don't know if we ever really talked about this in a lot of detail, but your other two sisters hate hiking, but you stuck with it. Yes. So can you give some, your perspective on why you think that like it stuck with you, but it, your sisters don't like it? I honestly think that it just goes back to the whole thing about me being an agreeable person. Like if you ask me to go somewhere, I'm going to say yes. And I think that all of these yeses just snowballed into like, now I'm halfway done with the 48s and Hiking is one of my favorite outdoor activities to do. So I think it all can kind of be traced back to that. Cause I think with Emma and Megan, they, they're not afraid to tell you that they hate something or don't want to do it, but I don't know. I'm just an agreeable person. I love everything. Got it. Got it. So I peer pressured you into hiking <laughs> and eventually I wore Basically. you down to the point where you're like, all right. And the other two, they don't, they don't put up with any nonsense. You put up with a little bit of nonsense. So I guess that's. I put up with a lot of nonsense. Yep. Yeah. I'll, I'll say you do. Uh, so <laughs> with the 4,000 footers right now, you're at like, you're, I think you're at halfway or you're a little under there. So can you talk a little bit about sort of your progression with the 4,000 footers over time? Talk a little bit about sort of what you learned about gear maybe some of your favorite hikes and memories that have stood out for you? Oh, geez, that's kind of broad. Let me think. Yeah. Um, I don't know, like what specifically about hiking the mountains? Like, I would say, what's your first memory of realizing that, okay, I'm, I'm going to pursue this list and get, get all 4,000 footers completed? I want to say, I think it was pretty early on. I'm pretty sure Washington was like maybe the second one that I ever did. But I think like after that, I was like, I was maybe like 12. So I was like, all right, I did the hardest one. So the rest of this is going to be a breeze. But now like six years later, it's like, all right, not a breeze, but I mean, we'll get through it. But and I, I feel like our plan the whole time was for you to complete the 4,000 footers before you did your college application so that you would have yeah. something on your, your college application, but we didn't, we didn't get done. Yeah, no, I'm probably not even going to finish before I graduate college. So no, no. So I guess we, we lost sight of that, going. but 
I mean, it seems yeah. very attainable when you're in sixth grade. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Oh, well, what, you know, sports and other things get in the way. So just looking over the list that you've completed. So you've basically done the entire sandwich range. So the Osceola's, right. Tecumseh, um, Whiteface, Paso Conway, the Tri-Pyramid. So you've done that whole, and Moose Lake, you've done the whole southern part. You've done the southern presidentials. You've done the Carters. You've done Franconia Ridge. You've done Mariah, Willie Tom. Well, Willie and Field, you gotta do, we got to go back and do Tom again because right. we messed that up. But it sounds like mostly you've got like the rest of the the Pemi Wilderness to get done, and then you got to get the northern presidentials and then those northern peaks. So um, do you have any plans this summer? Like are you and um, your boyfriend going to go off and, and hit some peaks, or are you going to wait for me to take you? Oh, yeah, no, definitely. I want to try to get as much done as I can this summer because um – I don't know. Like, ideally, I would finish before I graduate college, but I don't think that that's going to happen. So I want to, like, make progress so that I'm ready to finish that a couple years out. So I definitely want to do as much as I can. Probably some, like, beginner-friendly things because I do want to take um, I do want to take Devin up some trails. I definitely told him that we would do, like, Washington and stuff. So I want to go back and do that. I think it would be cool to do Franconia Ridge with him. All of the, like, really, like, the classics, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good plan. And, um, can you talk a little bit about like you did your first solo hike last year and, you know, you planned it out on your own and you were able to navigate and everything. So can you talk a little bit about what perpetuated that and what made you decide to get into doing some solo hikes? I mean, having a hiking expert as my dad, I feel like I've never really been pressured to learn all of the stuff myself. So I kind of had to take that opportunity into my own hands and go off on my own adventure. So, um, Last year, I think I did, Was it? what was it, Tecumseh, like last yes. fall. So um, I don't know why I picked that one specifically. I think you recommended it because it was like close to um, that parking lot for what ski resort? Waterville. Yeah, so it was close to the Waterville parking lot. So you were like, oh yeah, there you go, it's easy. So yeah. just went and did that. And yeah, now I'm on my way. I was pretty much like the leader and organizer of all the hiking in Hawaii, so... Oh, great, great. And then as far as winter hiking, so you've gotten into winter hiking a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about sort of your experience with winter hiking? You've done two. You were on Musalaki and then we went up Liberty. Um, Talk about sort of like the gear and any fear that you might have had or concerns about getting out there in winter. Oh, geez. I feel like the first thing that comes to my mind is just how numb my hands got. I think that like temperature control is like the hardest for me because even sitting here in my room right now, Granted, we have like terrible, a terrible heating system, but I'm cold. So I'm just a person who gets cold very easily. So I think that because of that temperature control is like hard for me. So when it comes to like delayering and all of that, I just like, <laughs> if I'm taking off my gloves to do something like there's it's the point of no return. And I just remember on Musalaki, like I thought that I was going to get frostbite. So that's probably the biggest challenge. Yeah, yeah, that's true because it took you like a little longer to like, you just weren't used to like taking layers off, putting them on and no. you were just, you had your hands free way too much. So lesson learned, lesson learned. And then your second time around when we went up Liberty, I don't feel like you didn't have that many issues, right? No, it was definitely a lot better. I think that like nothing will ever top how cold I was on Musilaki, but um, yeah, no, I feel like learned from my mistakes, was a little bit more familiar with the gear. Excellent. All right. So let's transition to the main reason why I brought you on here is I wanted to do a little segment on Hawaii. So uh, for the listeners, Caroline spent like, what'd you spend like seven, eight weeks in Hawaii? Seven Got weeks. It. I think seven, 
seven, eight. Yeah. Right. So seven weeks in Hawaii. And I thought that like, there's probably some listeners that like are thinking about taking trips to Hawaii or their interest in learning about sort of hiking and touring around the island. So I figured, you know, with your background in hiking and the fact that we need to target a younger demographic. And I don't know anybody else besides you. That's a younger demographic. I was like, let's do a segment on Hawaii. So can you just sort of give an intro? Like, well, how did you end up in Hawaii? Give some background there. So basically going to Hawaii was part of my school study abroad program, or I guess like study domestically, but um, a lot of people end up going abroad. But basically, it's part of this program called the Interactive Qualifying Project that WPI does, also known as the IQP. And it's a humanities-based project that you do for one quarter. We're based off of a quarter system. So you go for just like seven weeks, the one quarter, and you do a humanities-based project. So it's sort of like, since WPI is a STEM-focused school, it's um, teaching you how to use your STEM kind of critical thinking skills in a humanities or like social science sort of environment. That's the background of the project, and a majority of people end up going, it's a very popular thing to go abroad. So while there is the option to stay in Massachusetts, stay local, most people end up going somewhere, like they have project sites all over the world. And I ended up in Hawaii because they do this ranking system when it's time to decide what project site you want to go to. And um, you don't rank it um, like numerically, so like I didn't really have a top choice, but you can rank things based off whether you're like most interested in them just a little bit interested in them and then not interested at all. And Hawaii was one of, I think the three or four places that I put, I was most interested for. So I'm really thankful that I got one of the places that I was the most interested in. And I had a great time out there. Excellent. And then can you, what was the specific project that you're, t- so you go out there with how many, how many students are there at a time in your, your larger group? There was 24 in my cohort. All right. And then in the cohort, you guys then break into smaller projects teams working on like different projects around the island, right? Yes. So there was um, six groups of four. Okay. And then what did your, your project team specifically, what did you guys work on? So we worked with Ho'omalukia Botanical Garden, which if you've been to Oahu, you may have heard of it. It's like all over the must-do and Oahu lists, but it's a botanical garden that is in Kaneohe, which is like the windward side of the island, a little bit north of Honolulu. And we worked with them to create a visitor management plan. So essentially just like giving them recommendations to how to better control their visitation. Cause like, since they're so popular on social media and the internet nowadays, they just experience like so many people. So they just needed more strategies about like how to manage that. All right. And what do you, when you say manage, what do you mean by that? Like, would they, is everybody, everybody clustering in a certain area or are you, what, what, what was some of the, I guess, solutions that you implemented to help with, with the visitors? So it was a couple of different problems. They definitely experienced a lot of people. So the whole park, I believe it's like, oh geez, I don't want to get this wrong, but I want to say it's around like a hundred-ish acres, maybe more. So it's a really big area and there's a lot of trails that um, go off all around the garden. But most people, there's like this one road that goes through it. So most people are just kind of like staying towards that main road and then the visitor center, not really going off and exploring all the trails and everything that the garden has to offer. So they wanted strategies to sort of like get the word out that, hey, you know, there's like trails all around that you guys could be going in. You don't really have to crowd around the most popular areas. So overcrowding was definitely a big issue. And the other issue is that since it's super popular on social media, people want to get photos of them standing in the middle of the road. And it's it's a beautiful road. There's like the Ko'olau's um, mountain range in the background. So it's a great photo spot. But 
they're just like standing in the middle of the road so (laughs) that's obviously just an accident waiting to happen so they wanted to like come up with systems to better um share rules with people before they visit the actual garden and also encourage people to kind of like spread out and not really crowd like the main areas especially that road Okay. And then when you get, when I'm assuming you went there a bunch of times, were you able to sort of move around and find locations that are not near the main road that had like awesome views and, and scenery? Oh yeah. A thousand yeah. percent. I like explored the entire trail system while I was there and it was definitely, it was really cool. There was no like uphill, so I wouldn't necessarily call it hiking, but it's like, there's miles of trails that you can just kind of like walk on. There's this really cool lake on the property that um, there are some cool hidden views that you can take if you go on the further trails and then also, since we were, like, working with the garden, we got some exclusive views um, from, like, they have this dam that's over the lake because the garden was originally created as, like, a flood control project by the U.S. Army Corps. So we got to, like, go up on top of that dam and see, like, um, the garden from an angle that most people never get to see. So that was that was so awesome. Okay. And then you're on the um, – you're in Honolulu living in Waikiki. Yes. So yes. that's the – it's not the big island. It's Maui, right? No, it's actually Oahu. Oahu, that's right. I'm sorry. I yeah. got a confused. Um, so some of the basic hiking activities that are close to Honolulu and where you were, can you sort of break down where you uh, where you explored and what hikes you actually did that you might recommend to people that are visiting? Yeah, definitely. So, of course, like the first thing that comes to mind when you think of hiking by Honolulu is Diamond Head. It's a classic. It's this huge volcanic crater that, like, of course, it used to be a volcano because, you know, Hawaii but um exploded like many many years ago and now it's this cool kind of like crater thing so um the hike goes through the crater and then up and it's um it's pretty much paved i want to say it definitely is paved the entire way and there's like staircases and stuff it's super accessible so it's um one of the most popular hikes to do over there and it has a fantastic view of all of honolulu since it's on the easternmost side so you can see like the entire city you can see the ocean you can see up into the Ko'olaus and that whole mountain range. It's just like a fantastic view all around. And it's extremely well known. I would say it's probably the most popular hike on Oahu, if I had to guess. That's like, that's a classic. Okay. And you and your friends, you did not have a vehicle. So you had to rely on like public transportation or Ubers, right? Yes. Yes. Shout out the bus. Hawaii has great bus transport and also Ubers. Okay. So you took a lot of times you would take in the bus or every once in a while you'd take an Uber. Yes. Yeah. Okay, where else did you hike? So there's Diamond Head that's near Honolulu. Uh, what other um, hikes did you go on? So the first big hike that we did, other than Diamond Head, we did that like pretty much right away. But the first weekend, we did a hike up the Nu'uanu Judd Trail that's also connected to the Jackass Ginger Pool. So that, I was I was sort of using the same strategy that you used on me and Emma and Megan. I was going to lure people in to like, oh, come hiking with me to this cool waterfall. It'll be great. And then from there, I'm like, okay, by the last weekend, we'll be doing like all the cool like 10 mile hikes and stuff. So so you're in with a group of people that, so for the audience sake, and you talk to me a little bit about this. So you've got like 25 fellow students, but you have no sense on whether or not they're like down for long hikes or they like the outdoors or even whether... They may not even know because they, they've never experienced it. So were you doing any pre-screening to talk to people to say like, oh, you you have any experience hiking or did you just kind of just take anybody along and just feel out how they how they did? A little bit of both. So um, we actually, before going away for this quarter, the quarter beforehand, you have to take like a prep class. So I had known kind of everybody that I was going with through, through this prep class. 
And our professor made us do like book reports during it. So we all got a book about Hawaii. And then like once a week, like, oh, this is my book and here's what it's about. And I got a hiking guide. And um, because of that, people kind of knew that like I was interested in hiking and I had had some conversations with people being like, oh, we should definitely go hiking like every weekend while we're there. So I knew some people were interested in it. And then when I organized this specific hike, I just sort of like, um, we had a big group chat all together. So I just like sent a message and was like, hi, I'm planning this hike this weekend. If anyone wants to come, it's like only a mile and a half long and there's a cool waterfall, which um, we ended up doing an extended version of the hike that was not a mile and a half, but um, it kind of um, allowed people who weren't super sure about whether they'd be interested in hiking to come along. And um, during that hike, we had a couple people drop out, but um, you know, it, it was nice. I think I, Four of us made it to the top, and I think three people ended up turning around. Okay, so you're you're filtering people. <laughs> you're filtering I mean, that can I hike. mean more or less, but uh, you know, I, I did kind of sell it as a, like a mile and a half hike, and then we ended up doing like a way extended version. So, okay. all right, well, I've been known to do that with you as well. So, I yeah, I, I learned from the best. Yeah, yeah, and was that the so the Jackass Ginger Pool in Nuanua? Nuanua. Nuanu. Nua Anu, okay, I'm not going to And then this was, the, there was a race going on at the same time that you did this hike, right? Yes. So that's also a funny story because we, so we took the bus there. We were dropped off maybe a mile away from the trailhead. So we're walking on the road over to that on this like super back roads, random road that like goes in the middle of nowhere. But we're walking on that. All of a sudden we like see, I think it was like porta potties was the first thing I was like, oh, that's kind of random for this like random trail. But we get closer. There's like all this music, all these people. We like approach it and we're like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) But it ended up being this like race that they're having called the Hurt 100. And that's the Hawaiian ultra running team, 100 mile endurance race. So it was a 100 mile race that was happening on the trail. But they were like, oh, it's open. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) So while we were hiking this trail, there were all these crazy ultra runners doing a 100 mile endurance race that... I believe they had 36 hours to complete and it was five 20 mile loops through this like hiking area of Hawaii. Would you ever want to do an ultra like that? Absolutely not. Never. No. We saw like one of the people, like there were people throughout the trail just kind of like there as um, what's it called? They were just telling people where to go. And we got into a conversation with one of them because I think not that we were asking for directions, but we were like asking I forget, but we got into a conversation with one of the people that were there for navigation purposes. And he was like, oh yeah, I'm sure you guys will be back in a couple of years doing this. And we were all like, no, no, <laughs> absolutely no. not. All right. So where um, else did you hike? So what we did, Diamond Head, we did um, Nu'uanu Judd. We did, let's think, um, the last weekend we did Mount Olympus, it's okay. called. I forget the actual Hawaiian name for that. And I'm sorry. But um, that was a crazy hike because um, the views were just spectacular. I think that was probably the best views of any hike that I did out there. Um, it, it was cool because um, when you started hiking, you could look back. You could see the southern side of the island, all of Honolulu. And then once you got to the top, you forget how small Hawaii actually is. So you can see to the south, Honolulu, and then to the north, like the, the other side of the ocean with like Kailua and Kaneohe and that whole side of the island. So it was just like you were surrounded by ocean. And yeah, look, that was, looking at the the topography on like the maps, it does look like that that Mount Olympus is sort of a ridge line that goes like east to west, and it yes. looks like it goes all the way. It sort of like goes to the end of those botanical gardens where you worked, mm-hmm. and then it goes even farther. So 
but you can also see to the to the north. So it's kind of like the main sort of mountain range, I would say. Is yeah, so the Koolaus are like the main thing that kind of cuts through the center of Oahu. Okay. So this is yeah. like right when up you there. were on Olympus, did you get a sense on like if you wanted to hike longer on that ridge or do like any overnights or backpacking? Is that did you see anybody out there doing that? Um, I didn't see anyone who looked like they were doing like a longer hike, but I don't think that this was the season for it because it's the rainy season out there. And that hike was like so incredibly muddy, muddiest like I've ever been in my entire life. It was insane. And I would not want to spend a few days in that in those conditions. That would have just been miserable and so gross. Interesting. And was there any concern about safety from the perspective of the footing or the people that you are hiking with or even just uh, the terrain or navigation? So navigation, I was good with. I just load everything in a Gaia and I'm all set. But um, with the terrain and like the weather conditions, first of all, um, so like I said, like Hawaii, this time of year, it's the rainy season. So everything was like extremely muddy up on trails. And um, I was checking the forecast and it was supposed to start raining like later in that day. So I'm like, okay, we can like squeeze in the hike. I think it'll still be fine. But the rain started moving like up a little bit. So there was sometimes like when we were coming back down that like it would just like flash rain for like a couple seconds or a couple minutes. And um, that was kind of like a little nerve wracking because I was like, oh, geez, I really hope it's not like this for the whole way down. Because at like the top of the ridge, especially there were some steep parts where there were ropes to help you like climb up and stuff. And that was my first time dealing with a lot of ropes. And like obviously like the two roles that I went with, it was their first time doing that, too. So I was kind of going first and like um, seeking out the best footholds, but um, it was all very nerve wracking, kind of like being in that those very steep, muddy conditions. Yeah. And did you find that was there a lot of other hikers around or were you guys pretty much by yourself? There was a good amount. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think how many I would estimate we saw maybe like a dozen or so other people on the trail. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then anything else? So you that you did like three or four hikes with anything you missed on the island? I did. Oh, I'm missing a couple, actually. I okay. did. I think so. We did Diamond Head, Uganu, Olympus. We did Manoa Falls, which is another cute hike out there. It's um, it's also pretty popular because it's, it's of course, it's like a waterfall and it's only a mile long. So there's tons of people. That was fun that it started like downpour raining in the middle of that. But it, it was just very magical. We just embraced the rain, which was fun. And then um, the other thing about that hike is that, so it's a waterfall and there's like a pool at the bottom. So it looks like if you could swim there, obviously you would want to, but there it's well known for having this bacteria in the water that like, if it gets, if you inhale it at all, it'll make you super sick. So they're like, do not swim in it. But the amount of people that we saw on that trail wearing like flip flops and bathing suits, it was just unreal. And literally when you Google Manoa Falls, first thing that comes up is like the second the second sentence of the Wikipedia article that comes up is like Manoa Falls is known for having this dangerous bacteria in the water that can make people very sick if they swim in it. But the amount of people swimming was just like, oh my God, it made my skin crawl. Do you think that they say that there's bacteria in the water specifically to just like, they exaggerate it just to keep people out of it? I did think about that, but at the same time, like even if that was the case, I don't know. Hawaii is just like very delicate and it experiences a lot of tourists who come there without the best intentions. So I think that disregarding those rules at all is just, it's not good news. There's like this thing that if you move to Hawaii or go to Hawaii, like the islands will either accept or reject you. So I think that bacteria might just be a part of the rejection. Okay. Got it. And then, um, 
you did get a chance to go to some of the other islands. So can you talk a little bit about um, trips to the other islands? And I think you did like one or two hikes, right? Yeah. So um, I had the opportunity since I was working on a project, we didn't get tons of of chances to travel to other islands, but we did get one long weekend and me and a couple other girls took advantage of that. So we went one day to Maui and we did this like snorkeling cruise, but no hiking, but that was a lot of fun. And I would definitely love to go back and hike in Maui another time because the mountains there were just so unreal. But we also got to go to the big island and we did a Volcano National Park while we were out there. So we did this big long hike while we were there. And that was, it was so cool because um, Kilauea was actively erupting at this time, as people may know. So we got to see lava. We didn't get to stay until it got dark out, but we did see lava. So that was awesome. Wow, that's good. And then uh, how long of a hike was that? And what were the logistics to get there? Because you didn't have a car, so you're relying on like, you obviously didn't know the bus system in that island. So did you take an Uber or did you take a bus? So um, we ended up taking an Uber from where we stayed in Hilo to Volcano National Park. And it was about 45 minutes. And I wish I could remember this Uber driver's name because he was awesome. He had like a national park pass. So he was able to get us in the park for free, drop us off, and then he left. So got a big tip for that. He was great. Great. And then when you get into the national park, did you, I remember talking to you a little bit about like, what trail do you think you should do? And we were looking at a map or something like that. What did you, do your friends just rely on you to like scope out the, the, the trails or did you guys decide on your together where you were going to go? A little bit. Yeah. Um, while we were planning this big Island trip, I kind of did, I kind of took charge of like doing the itinerary and stuff. Cause I'm kind of anal retentive about that. I need to like everything organized before I go. I respect so, that. Yeah. So I ended up organizing the hike. So what we did while we went out there, if anyone's curious, we did the Crater Rim Trail into the Thurston Lava Tube, which is kind of like this underground cave, but it's only like it's less than a mile. It's a quick offshoot. And then we went down into the Volcano Crater through the Kilauea Iki Trail and then up again through the Byron Ledge Trail. And then we took a quick trip over to the steam vents and the Sulphur Banks before arriving back to that visitor center, which is also where we started. Wow, what a day. Um, oh, yeah. And then what else did you do when you were off uh, on the other islands? Any cool adventures not related to hiking? <laughs> um, yeah, I can talk a little bit about Maui. That was crazy because we flew in at 8 a.m. and we had to leave at 8 p.m. So it was just like 12 hours of just go, go, go. So um, flew in. We took a little walk over to this coffee shop for breakfast and then hung out on the beach for a little bit. Um, we went there on the first of the month, which was our first time being on the islands on the first of the month. And if no one's ever been to Hawaii before on that day, I think like around noon, they do they like do a test of the emergency alarm that you can hear from like any part of the island. So while we were just chilling on the beach, all of a sudden, like these huge alarms just go off and we were like, uh, like what is happening right now? <laughs> but um after that like we were literally we were the only people on this beach first of all that's um kanaha beach in maui super underrated beautiful highly recommend if you want like a um undiscovered kind of beach in maui but only people on the beach were looking around like what the hell is happening right now and then from the lifeguard stand which is like over at the side they just like do this announcement like oh yeah don't worry they were just testing the emergency alarms like literally directed at us because <laughs> they definitely knew that we were not from here <laughs> but um did that and then we went down to do a snorkeling cruise to Molokini which is like a very famous snorkeling spot in Hawaii and that was that was really cool we did um forget the exact like name of the cruise but we sailed with the four winds too highly recommend them they were a really great crew they had a slide off the boat which was awesome um but yeah we snorkeled there saw some cool fish there was an octopus which was pretty neat 
Um, Molokini itself is like kind of this like crescent shaped crater that just like juts out in the middle of the water. So it was cool being able to see that because um, we went on the afternoon snorkeling cruise. And a lot of the time they said that um, the water will be too rough to get out there during the afternoon, but we were lucky okay. enough to make it. So that was pretty sick. And then, yeah, other than that, we just booked it back to the airport. <laughs> great, great. And then uh, just kind of going back to uh, your time in Honolulu and Waikiki, you did some other activities. So I remember you talking about like going surfing and, um, and yeah. going up to the North Shore. So can you talk a little bit about like what beaches you recommend and what activities that you, you did and you would recommend to people that might be going to Hawaii for the first time? Oh, geez. Can I just like, what's the opposite of recommend? I do not recommend Waikiki. Stay in the North Shore. It's so much better. <laughs> okay. But, well, um, I, but, but Waikiki, like, so you stayed in Waikiki in one of those like high, high rise yes. hotels, which is like convenient because there's like food and everything's around. But if you were in the North Shore, wouldn't you have the opposite problem of like not being able to go anywhere if you didn't have a vehicle? I mean, yeah, but it's less basic overall. So. Yeah. The coolest spot of the island. That's where you want to be. Okay. Waikiki so is like where the, all the tourists are. <laughs> yeah, well, so anyway, you, you so you're recommending more than North Shore, but in, in and around Waikiki, what did you what did you do for activities? Yeah, no, I'm 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 obviously over exaggerating how bad Waikiki was. It was really convenient to be so close to like tons of like public transport sites and restaurants and uh, like we were like a five minute walk away from the beach. We were in a really great location. But um Wait, what was the question? <laughs> but, all right. So just like the activities you did. So you did the surfing yeah. class, you yeah, did yeah. parachuting, and then maybe break down the North Shore stuff that you did later. Okay. Yeah. So um, we stayed in Waikiki, explored like all of Honolulu. So that was pretty cool. But outside of Honolulu, of course, we spent a lot of time in um, Kaneohe because that's where our project sponsor is. If you're going to Oahu, I definitely recommend Ho'omalukia. I recommend going like in the morning on a weekday because that's when it's the least crowded, coming from an expert. Um, <laughs> um, but honestly, all of the Honolulu Botanical Gardens, they're gorgeous. If you want like Arizona type vibes, you can go to Cocoa Crater Botanical Garden. If you want rainforest vibes, you can go to Oahiawa. And then um, I'm trying to think. Foster is closed right now, but that's also a cute one in the city. But um Great botanical gardens. Obviously, I'm biased, but um, I got to spend a lot of time in those areas. And then we were lucky enough to go up to the North Shore a couple of times. So my favorite town up there is Haleiwa. I definitely recommend spending some time there because they're very. They have a lot of cute like shops, boutiques, um, restaurants, places to get food. Um, Giovanni's is a very well known shrimp truck that they have in Oahu, and their like location. One of their locations is in Haleiwa, so that's a great place to go. Um, they're very close to a lot of beaches, and um, they're close to Turtle Beach, which is another very popular spot. Um, the waves in the North Shore are like crazy this time of year, so I didn't get to go like hang out or swim at the beach um, while I was there. Of course, there was like the eddy that happened, which is a famous surfing competition. So if you're a surfer, that's good. But if someone like me, I'm just gonna stay on the beach, chill out, and just forget all my lifeguarding skills. Yeah, got it. But, and um, then um, you did do par- a parachute trip. Did you do that? Was that down by Waikiki, or was that that uh, more in in another part of the island? Oh, skydiving? Yeah. No, so that was up in the North Shore. Oh, damn it. I forget what town it's in. Doesn't matter. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, but um, no, I I skydived in the North Shore, and that, that was also an incredible experience. That's probably like one of my favorite things that I did out there. 
All right. And if people are going to take a trip, like they're taking a trip for 10 days or whatever, you've already sort of given some of your highlights, but can you give your perspective around like um, food, how easy it is to, you know, get to restaurants and different places to eat? And then like there's just the overall prices of living in Hawaii for, uh, you know, a week or two. Is it really as bad as you, the sticker shock as, as people talk about? It's expensive. It's very expensive because a majority of the stuff is imports. So it's it's you're lucky to find like a meal under like, I don't know, twelve, fifteen dollars. That's like typically the low end range if you're looking for like an actual meal. OK, wait a minute. Yeah. Am I paying for this stuff? No. What? No, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I got to check my bank account. Um <laughs> All right, good stuff. Any other thought? Well, a couple of other things I do want to close out in Hawaii. So you missed a couple of hikes. Like we were talking about, you were talking about doing that like three peaks hike. I was curious about like the stairway to heaven. And then I think there's another one, Cocoa Head. You didn't get a chance to do those, but can you talk a little bit about, you know, why you missed out on those and in the planning that you were looking at for, for doing those hikes? Yeah. So like I said, like the original plan, like I wanted to hike every weekend and that would have been ideal. But of course, like it was the rainy season while we were there and not a big fan of hiking in the rain or mud. Like I'll do it, but I want to like minimize that as much as possible. And also with the bad weather, it's just sort of like, I don't know, logistically it didn't work out. And also with the project that I was doing, that was sort of like my main focus. So a lot of the weekends, especially at the end, it was like, all right, I got to focus on work right now. So it sucked that I couldn't hike more than I did, but I'm lucky that I got out as much as I did. But um, as far as hikes go that I didn't get to do, definitely three peaks would have been really sick. Um, that's it's of course like three peaks and it's pretty well known for being like dangerous. There's been like a couple of deaths and stuff on it, mostly tourists who kind of like get in over their head. But um, obviously like if you go out there and you're safe, you know what you're doing, you're being careful. It's like, it's very, very doable. But just because the conditions the entire time weren't that great, as far as the mud goes, I just I didn't want to risk anything. So the week that we were going to do that, we ended up doing Olympus instead, which was okay. probably equally as money, but way safer. And then speaking of safer, Stairway to Heaven, I mean, obviously, bucket list for a lot of people, but they've recently it's so anyone that doesn't know Stairway to Heaven is basically this like giant um, hike that's all stairs up a mountain and um, pretty well known, lots of great like social media pictures from there, but it's illegal because it's very dangerous. <laughs> so um, they recently started like really cracking down on people who were going on the stairway. And um, I just like did not want to risk it because I don't have a thousand dollars of spare change to pay a fine. So yeah, yeah. matter of fact, I think somebody got arrested when you were out there hiking that. Probably. I wouldn't be yeah. surprised. We it's like right over the highway. So we drove by it a couple of times and I saw people hiking on that, but it's, I don't know, not worth the risk if you ask me. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, uh, so, uh, you highly recommend Hawaii. It sounds like you've given us a good list of hikes. I'll throw this in. I'll get the list from you and I'll throw some hiker hyperlinks into the show notes so people can check it out in case they are going to Hawaii or they're interested in going to Hawaii. Uh, but for you, it sounds like it was quite the trip of a lifetime, right? It was fantastic. Yes. All right. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you before we close, I got a couple more questions before we close up, but if I was to take you on a specific trip to go hiking somewhere in the world when you graduate, where would you like to go? Is that an option? It's it's a it's a potential, but I haven't okay. decided yet. I'm just curious where you would want to go, and if it's if it resonates with me, then maybe I would take you. I think that we should go to the Swiss Alps. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of thinking the same thing, like, a, like, um, either that or the Dolomites in Austria or whatever, but okay. Oh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes here, but you okay, got to graduate okay. first. So we got a while to go here. All um, right. I'm holding that over your head. Yeah. Yeah. It's on, it's on, it's recorded now. So All right, perfect. before we close out, I just want to get your perspective on, uh, so young people in general and hiking, we've had, you know, we had a tragedy last year, late last year with a young lady that um, got up to Franconia Ridge and unfortunately didn't survive. Can you give your perspective about getting the word out to young people about safety and hiking? You know, we've tried to sort of, I've talked with Stomp about this a couple of times to try to figure out like, how do you get the word out to the younger generation around the fact that, you know, hiking is a fun activity, but it can also be super dangerous and you need to proceed with caution. Well, I mean, if you're talking about marketing, well, from a marketing perspective, obviously, like I think social media is the way to go when it comes to reaching younger people. But I think as far as like sending a message goes, I think it's just important to have people understand that hiking, like while it can just be like a fun thing that you do on the weekends, it's also extremely dangerous. And it's something that you should like minimize going by yourself as much as possible, unless you really are experienced and know what you're doing. So I think it's sort of just like kind of promoting the buddy system. I think it's always safer to go with someone, even if they like aren't as super experienced as you, just like having another person that you can fall back on. I think that's super important. Fair enough. All right. Any other closing thoughts? Um, Nothing that I can think of. Thanks for having me on. No problem. No problem. So um, get back to studying and I'm going to drop out of this and then head back and talk to Stomp a little bit. All right. Have fun. All right. Very good. See you later. Later. All right, Stompin', we are back. What do you think? Did I do a good job raising this kid? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's killing it out there. She's a, she's a joy to listen to, and I'm glad she's having such a great time. And uh, in the best years of her life, shall we say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember we talked about this a long time. You said you did like a backpacking thing in like Europe when you were younger. So I mean, sure it's not easy. It's not cheap. But like if you can swing like a nice, nice trip when you're at that age, it's it's probably the best time to do it because life, life starts getting real pretty quick. Yeah. When she was talking, she, uh, you know, I was listening to all the different activities she did. I was waiting for her to say something about surfing and she, she checked the box. Thank God. Because when you go to Hawaii, you got to surf. Yeah, yeah. She did the surf <laughs> class and she was like telling me, she was like, I didn't want to brag, but like the surf instructor said I was the best student in the whole class or whatever. <laughs> oh, that's super fun. And oh, con- yeah. congrats to you. I mean, you have news, don't you? Caroline proclaimed you the hiking expert. So that's really yes. cool. Yeah, I, I, you, yeah, you kept it a secret, but I'm really impressed. That's awesome. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I don't know where that came from. But, um, yeah, that's know, it's good. And, you know, if your kid's thinking about going to a school like WPI has been a, been a good one for us. So happy with that. And it's been mm-hmm. fun getting out to Worcester. And you know, they got a bunch of good breweries down there in Worcester as well. So definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Yeah, and last but not least, I think she she should follow back with us and and dive a little more into the search and rescue thing because I still am floored by the amount of rescues they're dealing with over there. Yeah, you know it's yeah. unbelievable. And when she mentioned yeah. the thousand dollar fine for the stairway to heaven, what was that about? Actually, if you get rescued on that, you get fined, or what? What was the? I think if you get caught on that thing, it's just oh, like they're getting okay. to the point where they're like, you know, you're not supposed to climb it because I don't think that the stairs are safe so they've been rated like unsafe so they don't want people going on there i think that part of it's private property gotcha it's 
it's a whole thing. So people do it, but right. you do risk getting fined. There's tons of uh, videos on YouTube about this and people doing it. Yes. It's crazy. Yeah. But okay, that makes sense. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Caroline, for coming in. That was really cool. Yeah. And I was like a nervous wreck because like my only knowledge of Hawaii was based on that episode of the Brady Bunch where remember they got, um, yes. they got the, like the, 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 the charm. And then like one of the kids got bitten by a spider and I then know, they had like their yeah. adventure in the cave with Vincent Price. Like it was a whole thing. Oh, it was so great. As a kid, those shows are so fantastic, weren't they? Oh yeah. Like yeah. legendary. So exciting. Yeah. Um, all right. All right. Stomp. So, we're going to do recent search and rescue news, but I wanted to ask you, like I talked a little bit about sort of my plans for the summer, but like, do you have any goals for the summer when it comes to hiking? Like we've talked about going to Acadia, you know, are you going to Vermont? Are you got any big bushwhacks planned? Like what's your next big obsession? Well, for hiking in particular, um, you know, having gone out with um, Nobby over the last few weeks, it occurred to me that I had never really done a legit, full presidential and I really couldn't figure out why until we started talking about it but what I would always do is a northern I would do northerns over and over again and it was because I didn't have a car spot back then that's that's really the only reason so I'm, I'm planning on trying to do a um, southbound presidential this summer and uh, I'll keep you posted on when that is I'm not really sure when uh, but um, yeah so that's that's one of my goals for sure I, I'll probably hit the captain again that's my fave and more backpacking Mrs. Stomp and I want to get out and really backpack and camp and just have some nice time together yeah yeah, yeah. alright those are all no, noble goals Stomp yeah. and I'll be there to help out I'd love to do a Prezi Diverse that's one thing I haven't done either okay cool yeah I would always go up Glen Boulder hit Bootspur hit the summit hit Adams, Madison, then come down Osgood and hit old Jackson Road. That was my loop because I would leave my car there. Yeah. Um, so anyway. That's a long day too, but. Oh, hell yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we'll get Nobby going and then uh, we'll, we'll see how we do. Mm-hmm. Well, if we get three cars, we can do a bailout too. We can park, um, you know, who knows where. Yeah. And we have, uh, for the last segment here, we have two last sponsors. 48 Peaks Alzheimer's, hike to fight Alzheimer's with 48 Peaks, a fundraising and awareness event for the Alzheimer's Association. Join 450 plus hikers this summer as we hike New Hampshire's 4,000 footers or create your own hiking adventure from a 52 of the view to a Prezi Traverse or climb your favorite mountain. Together, we will paint the mountains purple and raise vital funding to advance the care, support, and research efforts of the Alzheimer's Association Visit alts.org, alz.org, right slash 48 peaks to learn more. And then for the last sponsor, we have Base Late Coasters. Base Late Coasters create unique, beautiful, functional, and expertly laser engraved coasters with topographic maps of the 4,000 footers of New Hampshire and more. These coasters are handmade on Cape Cod from Slate, quarried in the United States, and provide a durable and heat-resistant surface for your drinks. Each coaster features intricate detailing of any mountain topography for the location of your choice. Base Slate coasters will work with you on your custom hand-designed coasters for any street or topographic map. Let's just say anywhere on earth and beyond visit baselate.com today to explore a full range of topographic map coasters and use the code slasher 10 at checkout for 10 percent off of your first order 
Very good. Stomp. Good good sponsors there. Yeah, they're getting solid. Yes. Yeah. All right, so now this is our final segment. So this is recent search and rescue news stop. So we've got mm. two national stories here. Um, the first one is headlined, the trail, A Trail of Discarded Clothes Leads Rescuers to Missing Hiker's Body in Arizona. So mm-hmm. this is a, a Tennessee man was found dead three days after he went missing during a hike on an Arizona mountain. So Pierre Romulus a 50-year-old from Laverne, Tennessee, was reported missing February 1st after his wife hadn't heard from him because she hadn't heard from her husband. He had told her that he had planned to hike to the Scope on Mount Graham. Hmm. Um, This is according to a Facebook post. Mount Graham is one of the highest peaks in Arizona at 10,720 feet. It's about 145 miles northeast of Tucson. And deputies began searching for Romulus and found his truck abandoned on February 1st. And rescue was found a line of tracks. So apparently there was some issues with weather that stalled the ground search due to difficult conditions. Mm -hmm. Rescuers were able to resume their search on February 3rd. So they got the call on February 1st, and then February 3rd is when they resumed. They were able to spot a line of tracks while um, searching from a helicopter. When they dropped off, they followed the tracks, and they found some discarded clothing items, Mm -hmm. which led them to the body. Sounds like hypothermia, Um, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. Uh, So he was found dead in the Grant Creek area about three days after he was last seen. And they they pulled the body off the mountain and sent it to the county examiner for for an autopsy. Yeah. That's a shame. But that is a a classic sign. Hypothermic individuals will start stripping their clothes off because they get this overwhelming sense of just heat and and sweating. And uh, sometimes you can see that. So, again, I'm speculating, but it sounds similar. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, This next one here, a group of hikers in England got stoned on magic mushrooms during a mountain trek and had to be rescued after some of them fell ill over the weekend. So remember we had that situation last summer with the guy that climbed up on the roof of Gilehead Hut and was like having was Vision Zealand. Quest. <laughs> I think it was Zealand, right? Oh, Zealand. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was nuts. Uh. So great. So great. So um, stop me if you heard this. The hikers, identified as a group of young adult males, <laughs> were walking along the Lake District <laughs> National Park in the Stony Graph Newlands and, and Seawaith area when passersby became concerned. Hmm. Rescuers received multiple calls for help for those who passed the group. The agency said two of the males were feeling unwell, including the group's driver after taking magic mushrooms. Hmm. Ingesting magic mushrooms or psilocybin Philosophin, may cause nausea, vomiting, muscle weakness, and lack of coordination as well as um, getting you high as can be. According to the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency, psychological effects include hallucinations and an inability to discern <laughs> fantasy from reality. Oh, my God. So an 11-member team was dispatched to meet these clowns. Yep. <laughs> um, they walked down the mountain with the group, and then they were given advice by the team medic. 
Um, the rescue operation lasted two hours, and it was the 24th rescue of the year for them. So, hmm. so that's interesting. So if it is, yeah. So 24 rescues, and it's April. So that means that they're averaging about six rescues a month. So that's about equivalent to what you see in New Hampshire. Hmm. Wow. That's like that sounds like the classic time to bill for a rescue. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. And again, I'm not a drug guy. I was never a drug guy, so I don't really know. I know that there's a lot of people that enjoy like an edible or, you know, they'll smoke marijuana on the trail or whatever. And I feel like we have some friends that I think it's like, it's second nature to them. It's not a big deal. Yeah. But I don't know the heavier stuff. It's probably not a good idea. I wonder. uh, Yeah. I wonder if there are any charges or what the, um, the laws are in this region for these drugs. I mean, I'm not even sure. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't think they're legal in the U.S. I'm assuming they're not legal in England, but I could be wrong about yeah, that. Who knows? Funny story. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I don't think anything's ever going to top the naked guy on top of Zealand, but they can try. <laughs> the aggressive naked guy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Ooh, boy. Um, all right. So now we've got local rescues. So we've got two separate rescues on Chikora. This first one is from about five or six days ago. Injured hiker on Mount Shakora. I forget what the date is on this one. Stop. It doesn't say, but around 1230. Yeah, something like that. 1230, uh, New Hampshire Fishing Game responded to a call for assistance for an injured hiker um, on Mount Shakora. So a 54-year-old female hiker from Jackson, New Hampshire, was hiking the Piper Trail in Albany to the summit. She slipped and injured her ankle and was unable to bear weight, so she called 911. She had her dog with her, and I did hear that the dog is fine. Somebody chimed (laughs) in and said there's no issues with the dog. He made it out fine. Uh, Rescue was hiked to her location approximately 3.2 miles from the trailhead, so she's pretty far up. Right. They stabilized her, placed her in a rescue litter to be carried down the trail. This was a a tough carryout because it was ice and snow on the trail, it was 80 degrees out. Messy. So the victim and rescue was arrived at the trailhead around 6 o'clock. So the call came in at 1230. Figure it takes them an hour or two to get up there. So they had a good three-hour carry, four-hour carry. Mm. Yeah, the pictures are pretty clear that the snow is just a mess. Really yeah, difficult yeah. to walk in. Late in the afternoon. I mean, that section gets hit with the sun early too, so... <laughs> I read this yeah. and I said to myself, and so it begins. So it begins. <laughs> the yeah. doom of our time. Yeah, yeah. And you can see like from the pictures, like she was she was up above tree line, you know, probably right below the summit cone, it looks like, based on what I'm seeing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then uh, the next rescue we had here was also on Mount Chakor. This involved two hikers, I believe. And this is interesting. So this happened on April 16th, I think. So, oh no, 14th. So Friday, April 14th, shortly before 7.30 p.m., Fishing Game was notified that a pair of hikers had phoned 911 for assistance. 
Um, they were able to obtain coordinates from their phone, which placed them three miles from the trailhead and nearly 650 feet off the trail in the area of the Beeline Trail on Mount Chikora. So these two hikers were 36-year-old and a 34-year-old, both female hikers, one from San Jose, California, and then one from Radford, Virginia. So mm -hmm. they had good cell phone service in the area, and apparently they had attempted to descend the Beeline Trail but had gotten off trail, and one of the hikers had lost their shoe along the way. All right, so then here we go. This is exactly what I was talking about around yeah. post-holing, deep right. snow. Make sure you got your shoes tied pretty well. Um, so she wasn't able to recover her shoe. So conservation officer and two members of Lake Search and Rescue responded. The rescue was located. The hikers provided them with warm clothes, headlamps, and a pair of shoes and hiked out with them. Stump, do they, this, is it normal for search and rescue teams to have a backup pair of shoes with them? Uh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, especially this time of the year. I mean... I'm assuming they communicated with these people, uh, perhaps, yeah. and figured that out. But um, that is something that will be carried along with extra clothing as well, because this time of the year is still very cold at night. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe if they're not from the area, you know, maybe they got lost. I don't know what they're doing on the Beeline Trail. I feel like that's off the back of the mountain somewhere. So uh, who knows? Maybe they took a wrong turn or something. But it, basically, the call came in at 730 they were able to arrive back at their trailhead before 2 a.m. So it was a long night for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, Fishing Game basically commented, they said that they found themselves in a period of remarkably nice spring weather, but hikers should keep in mind that deep, soft snow will persist in the mountains for some time. In addition to snow conditions at elevation, the current snow melting cycle is making trails extremely wet, full of running water. Stream water levels are high, fast moving, and may require waiting to cross. So just be careful out there. Mm -hmm. Yep. Water's still high. Yep. Um, this next story, sad story coming out of Acadia National Park. 17-year-old male fell to his death on Friday while hiking with friends. Um, according to a news release from the National Park Service, this teen fell around 25 feet near the Otter Cliff area of the park. Um, police and fire department and park rangers responded to the scene around 12 o'clock. The Bangor Daily News reported that the team was identified as a junior from Brewer High School. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, you know, it looks like a, you know, real tragedy. 17-year-old, there's no details really. You know, he was a, a nice young man and our hearts break for the family. One of the faculty had said, they said that this young man excelled in football, wrestling, and baseball. Um the football coach had said that he was a starting defensive back and also played wide receiver, type of player who worked hard and never expected anything to be handed to him. Um, so, yeah, just a good young athlete that um, unfortunately lost his life. And there's just not a lot of detail about what caused this fall. But, again, people just need to be careful around ledges and um, any any situation where you can't fall over a, a cliff. Mm. You, know, you gotta be, you gotta pay attention out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've never been there. Acadia yeah. without an R. I got Acadia. it. Acadia. I got yep. it. But uh, we'll, have, it correct. <laughs> we'll have somebody in to talk about the area soon. Probably yes. Mr. Gentilly. Yes, exactly. So. Um, all right. And this last one, two ill-prepared hikers rescued from the Appalachian Trail in Maine. 
And this wacky website stomp is like blocking out. Oh, I can take it if you want. Yeah, if you want to take this one, that'd be great. Yeah, so this was April 13th um, in the area of Avery Peak, um, basically near Little Bigelow Mountain. So two hikers from Kennebec County were rescued last week after staying the night in freezing conditions on Bigelow, Bigelow Mountain in Franklin County. The 26-year-old hikers set out on April 4 oh, to the Horns Pond, leaned to, but did not have the adequate equipment for the snowy conditions. The hikers were wearing cotton socks and cotton sweatpants, which hold moisture and did not have snowshoes, despite there still being as much as seven feet of snow at higher elevations. That's a lot of snow. The hikers summoned for help when they awoke to find their boots were frozen, according to the Central Maine paper. Game wardens and members of the Eustace Fire Department reached the hikers by snowmobile, provided them with snowshoes, and escorted them back to their vehicle on Route 27. And uh, thankfully, they did not need medical attention. Um, Last notes here. A spokesperson for the Maine Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife said... Uh, that wardens have encountered more unprepared hikers in recent years, an issue which peaked during the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, Wardens rescued a number of people in April and May of that year who traveled from southern Maine, where temperatures were warmer than in the western mountains. They They remained, oh, sorry, that remained icy and snowy which is classic. You know, people think it's summer if they're experiencing summer conditions, but it's definitely not the case. We see it here all the time. You know, everybody coming up from mass because, you know, they're in what, 70, 80 degree weather down south. So. Yeah. 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 It's um common mistake. It took me a couple of years to kind of learn my lessons and I get stuck in a couple of bad, like, not bad, like bad from the perspective of like it wasn't fun to hike in these conditions. So mm-hmm. I don't know how the April and May gritters do it. Like that's just brutal to me, but you know, they get it done over time. But I pref- much prefer to like stay low, stick to the bill naps, stick to the ossipes and, and don't mess around up up with the, the higher elevations when it's melting snow. Yeah. There we go. So it begins. So it begins, Stomp. <laughs> So hopefully you'll make it back from uh, the flatlands and uh, yep. get back on the hills soon enough. Yeah, it is flat here. It's crazy. Like the, the highest elevation we have around here is like a trash landfill, <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a bridge that goes over from like the, um, the the inlet side to the the island side that you can see. Like you know, it's, it's pretty high up. Yeah, but it's there's no elevate. It's everything's flat. Yeah, so, you can do. I'm, we're doing. Hill repeats on the trash pile. <laughs> yeah, I could do that. But we are, we're doing uh, college tours down here tomorrow. And then I think we're going to do a little kayaking or maybe jet skiing on uh, Friday. And then beach time on Saturday and pool time Sunday. And it'd be good times. Yeah. Life is tough, huh? <laughs> life is tough. Life is tough in Florida. <laughs> That's great. All, All right, right, brother. Well, Till next, next time. We'll, Safe travels. Till next time. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Nealon, New Hampshire Fishing Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.